not exactly sure who Theophilus was. But it's interesting because Luke tells us that he is writing an, an, an accurate account of the life of Jesus Christ so that we might believe the truth about Jesus. So he's writing to Theophilus, but also to us, by extension to us as well, so that we might believe what is true about Jesus Christ. And so Luke takes careful, carefully assembles the facts. He seems to have done his research and he is presenting these things so that we might believe the truth. And I pray that today we open our hearts and minds to what God has revealed to us, that we might believe the truth about Jesus Christ. And then after that, we saw two birth announcements. The first birth announcement uh, came to Zacharias uh, regarding the birth of John the Baptist. Zachariah would be his father. And uh, so we see this uh, announcement regarding John the Baptist. And then we see the second birth announcement was Gabriel came to Mary and said, Behold, you're going to bear a child and you're going to name him Jesus and he will deliver his people from their sins. And so these two birth announcements, the first one regarding John the Baptist, the the second one regarding Jesus Christ. And we should note that both of these birth events that are going to take place are supernatural events. Elizabeth, Zacharias' wife, was unable to bear children because she was past that time, past that age where she was able to give birth and they had pretty much given up on the idea of ever having a child. So it was miraculous in that God brought to life a womb that was really dead. Um, It had never born a child and pretty much had given up hope of ever bearing a child. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we see Mary, who had never had a relationship with a man, going to give birth. And so we see the miraculous and the supernatural um, power of God working to bring about his 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 promised fulfillment. Remember that what this is What's going on here is from the very beginning, God has been promising a Messiah. God has been promising salvation. God has been making these promises for year after year, century after century, millennial after millennial. And people keep waiting. And now God, by his mighty hand, is bringing about his purposes. And we should note that these are um, that it is God creating this life, and it is God who's bringing about his purposes. And then last time I taught, we noticed also how um, the the wonder of grace and how um, Mary is filled with this idea of how wondrous and how amazing grace is. She's amazed that God would have mercy on her. Grace is amazing said this before. Somebody should write a song. That'd be a good song, don't you think? About how amazing grace is. We would sing it here. Maybe we could play a harmonica or something with that. So that's kind of where we've been. Where we want to go today, my target, and as I say every week, I'm not sure if I'm going to hit the target, because you just never know what direction I may wander. But where I'm hoping to go today is to show the beauty of, commun- of communion between the saints. 
So I, I think it's important that we see, oftentimes we call this passage text we're looking at as the visitation, and certainly it is the visitation of these two women, Mary and Elizabeth. But I think it's also, um, what, what we're going to see here is the beauty of two believers coming together with the gospel as their source of joy. And I think that's, there, there's a lot of application there for us today. So the first thing I want to address is this communion between these two believing women, um, and, and they bring joy to one another. The second, the next place I, I hope to go is to demonstrate how Elizabeth is amazed to be in God's presence. And I would hope that for all of us, that we not lose the amazement of being in the very presence of God. And by the way, well, I'll get to that later. Um, but also hope then to uh, demonstrate that Mary is an example of all who believe. And that she stands in a place of one of the prime examples of people who believed God. We often talk about Abraham and he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he stands as an example of our faith. And today I, I would hope to uh, demonstrate that Mary also, in that same genre, in that same line, is also a... Um, a person who is an example of faith. And so that's, that's my goal. Here's why I, I think it's important, why this text is important to us, especially in the day and age in which we live. First of all, encountering Christ is a cause for joy. And I think we're all in need of perhaps, we live in relatively heavy times. We turn on the news and we live in tough times. But the interesting thing about joy is that joy is not based upon our circumstances. Um, joy is going to be based on something else, and I'll, I'll uncover some of that as, as we go through. That encountering Christ is a cause for joy. Have you encountered Christ? We should be joyful people. Also, we want to bring in this idea then that the Holy Spirit illumines us, gives us insight so that we might believe and become one who is blessed. I think everybody, if I were to ask you, uh, would you like to be blessed? I'm sure 100% of the hands would go up. The only ones who probably wouldn't raise their hand would be those who are currently napping. <laughs> and it's far too early in the message. Most of you aren't napping yet. So, um, But we all want to be blessed. And so we will see that the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and enables us to be blessed individuals. So... That's, that's our goal today. So I want to look a little bit at this idea of this communion between Mary and Elizabeth. And the first thing we read is, In those days Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to a town of Judah. Now, where she went, she traveled. The travel that she took was probably about 80 miles or so. Certainly a dangerous route. Um, I doubt very much she would have traveled it by herself. Probably jumped into a caravan somewhere and traveled along with a, a large group. This travel in those days was extremely dangerous. But I, I think it's interesting to note how she she goes with haste. In other words, she responds. Basically, Gabriel has said, "Mary, you're going to be pregnant." Oh, and by the way, Elizabeth, your cousin, is already six months pregnant. Um, and so Mary then in. In response to this heavenly announcement, uh, hurries to see what God has done. And I just, I was convicted that I'm reading this. Do I hasten to see what God is doing? When I hear of what God is doing, do I hasten to go visit or to go see what it is that our God and Savior is doing? And so Mary, here's what God is doing through the angel Gabriel. She gets up, she takes this danger, she hurries to um, 
to be by the side of her cousin Elizabeth. And when they get together, and when Elizabeth, um, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And so we begin to see that these two, Mary enters the house, and they, they join together, and they greet one another. And Luke gives us the impression that this is a meeting of great joy. It is one that is filled with excitement. I don't know exactly what they talked about, but I assume it had a lot to do with the kids that that they were bearing, the children that were growing inside of them. I'd like to put forth the idea of communion with one another. And I don't mean communion like the Lord's Supper. I mean communion with one another. Communion, fellowship, we might say fellowship. But gathering together with other like-minded believers, people who have experienced the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to put forward the idea that this type of, a commun- this type of communion can function as a means of grace. And let me describe what I mean by means of grace. Not that it imparts grace or puts grace on you, but rather it is a it is one of those means that helps us in our journey and it benefits others. In other words, when believers come together and we interact with one another and we share and we, we unite around the gospel and we share the joy and the anticipation of things that God is doing, that assists us and benefits us and helps us as we continue in this journey of walking and following after Christ. Christ said, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you need to take up your cross and follow me. That sounds like a hard journey you're probably going to need some help. And you're probably going to want some encouragement along the way. And God has called all sorts of other people who are also taken up their cross, denied themselves, taken up their cross, and they're following after Christ as well. You are not on this road by yourself. But God has given us other people who have also been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we are walking this journey together, and we do well when we commune with one another. And in fact, it is to our benefit. And so that's what I mean by means of grace, that these two women gathered together, they are about to encounter some very, very difficult days in front of them. Don't forget, both of their sons are going to be murdered. All right? Both violently murdered. Both are going to be seen as a little bit off. All right? Oftentimes we talk about how John the Baptist seemed a little weird. All right? And certainly Jesus was rejected by his, by his family, at least during his earthly life. And so uh, these are women who are going to be obedient to the things that God has called them to do, but the things that God has called them to do will be a source of both joy and difficulty. And they gather together with one another and commune with one another for, uh, and, and encourage and bless one another. And I just love this idea of as they gather together and they, I'm sure, talk about what God is doing in their lives. It just reminded me as I was reading this, it just reminded me of the psalmist who said in Psalm 66, 5. He says this, he says, Come and 
See what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of men. And then John 146. Um, there's an invitation to, to follow Christ. And uh, one of the, the soon-to-be disciples says, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And the response is, come and see. Come and see what God has done. One of the things we talked about last Wednesday night is to remind ourselves of the great things that God has done. Come and see. Come and see. Folks, God has done some amazing things in our lives. Come and see what God has done. And as we gather together, so oftentimes we gather together and we gripe about the government, and we gripe about our aches and our pains. How about this? Come and see when we gather together and we commune with one another. Let's come and see and talk about the great things that God has done in our midst. I'm not saying that we deny the, the challenging days in which we live, both politically and culturally and socially and economically. I'm not saying that we deny all of those things, nor am I saying that we don't reach out to one another and say, man, pray for me, I'm hurting I've got surgery or I got this or that. I'm just saying, let's bring some balance into our lives. Come and see what God has done. God has given me opportunity to share the gospel. God has given me strength to endure the challenges. God has given me hope for the future when it looks so bleak. God is doing. Come and see what God has done. What an opportunity for us to commune together with the great things that God is doing. Come and see. The other thing that really stood out to me about this particular meeting between these two women is their ages. So we have Elizabeth, who's kind of old. Um, I hate to say that because I'm probably closer in age to Elizabeth than I am to Mary. So maybe I'm kind of in the same age group as, as Elizabeth. So she wasn't old. She was wise, I guess. So... Something like that. But Elizabeth is probably in her 60s, right? She's no longer able to bear children. She's in her 60s, and Mary's probably in her teens. Some people say as young as 12, not even a teenager, maybe 15, but I don't know of anybody who puts her much older than that. Let's just make her really mature and put her at 16. You know, just got, got, just got rid of her permit to drive and she's actually able to drive all by herself, okay? That's not true, but but that's how old she is. And, and we wonder, what in the world does an old woman have to do with a teenager? And I just thought how beautiful this is. There is no generation gap. These are two women from two completely different generations, but they have in common a deep communion with the gospel. What they have in common is the promises of God. And I just saw this. This is just kind of one of my heart issues. Because the church is made up of disparate people, people who should not commune together, people who are completely different from one another. And yet, because of the gospel, because of our fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have so much in common and it just pains me and it hurts me when I begin to see churches or people even within this particular congregation not connecting with others who are not like them. I mean, I understand birds of a feather. I know that whole thing. And that certainly we're going to have friends and there are going to be people who we kind of are drawn to or are drawn to us. But folks, 
church. The church is a place where social and racial and age and economic barriers need to be utterly and completely destroyed. You know, I, I hear things like, oh, well, you know, and we see this in churches. And I've seen it even in, in this church a little bit because we're all broken people. I've seen it in myself. So I'm not just saying you people. I see it in myself. And we... And I go to preacher meetings and pastor conferences and, you know, well, the old people want this and the young kids want that and never the twain shall meet. And my heart breaks because that's just not the church of Jesus Christ. And we do all of these things and we manipulate our services so that we can reach, you know, various groups. And I'm thinking how sad that we cannot lay down our preferences for the common purpose of Jesus Christ. And so oftentimes it has to do with music. And I'm sorry that it's so cliche, but it's like, really? We cannot join together over the style of music? That's going to separate us? Have mercy on us, Lord. And I see sometimes that, you know, I, I, sometimes young people are, you know, well, I just want to find a group like mine. Young, married with kids. Great. I think you should because I think it's a great encouragement. Please don't limit yourself because there's a lot of old folks in the church who might have some wisdom and might have some benefit to you. Likewise, you will... <clears throat> us. No, you. <laughs> More mature people. Don't despise the vigor and the wisdom of the of, of kids and, and, and the youth. We have so much to glean and learn from one another. It's so joyful. I see... Uh, I know I didn't mean to point them out, but George and Mona bring two little girls with them. And they are such a blessing. I'm so so glad that you've introduced us to them. But I see them go right up to people like who are like even older than me and sit down on the pew and just sit and have a conversation with them. I'm going, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. This is the gospel. And I just want to make sure that when we commune together, that like when we have our potlucks or after church, you know, you might find some great joy in being around people who are not like you at all. The church of Jesus Christ is a church, is a group of people, despaired people, who ought to have nothing in common with one another, and yet they are united by the gospel, and they are united by the promises of God, and so the gospel is designed to unite generations, it's designed to unite races and those of different socioeconomic and political bent. It unites us under one common purpose, and that is we have been saved by Jesus Christ on the cross, and he has risen from the dead, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. We are united by these truths. And so I see that in these two women who are miles apart, not only geographically, but also, you know, in, in their age. No generation gap. And I see this greeting then between these two mothers. Probably, and oftentimes this is called the, uh, the visitation because it's the visitation of these two mothers, but I think actually more appropriately or maybe more accurately, it is the visitation of these two children. And I love how it says that when Mary speaks, the child John leaps 
in her mother's womb, leaps in the womb. And it's a leaping for joy, as we learn later on in this verse, in verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. He leaped for joy. Why? Because he is in the presence of the Most High God. And it just reminded me of this, this example of David when he is in the presence of the ark, which is the presence of God manifest, um, kind of the Old Testament manifestation of where God resided, the ark of the Lord. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And I just thought, this is exactly what John the Baptist is doing. This is no ark of the covenant. This is no box a couple of items like a Ten Commandment and Aaron's rod that bud and a pot of man. This is no box with uh, artifacts in it. This is God in the flesh. God incarnate. And John leaps for joy. I think he's dancing in the presence of the Most High God. Oh, folks, let us be joyful. Like John, here is a child not even still in his mother's womb, six months old or so. And he recognizes the glory of Christ and he leaps for joy. How is it that we who know Christ don't leap for joy and have that same exuberance and love for our great God and Savior? And then I thought about this in Malachi um, chapter 4, verse 2. I think I've got a scripture. There we go. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. This is an appropriate response to those who come in contact with our great God and Savior. And so the presence of God is a cause of great joy. Let us never forget this. And then it also reminded me how John is the forerunner. And John wasn't the forerunner just when he became an adult. He wasn't simply announcing the presence of the king of the kingdom when he became an adult. Right now, John's the forerunner. He is right now announcing Christ has come. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right now, in the womb... He is announcing, here comes the king. The king has come, and I could not be more joyful than what I'm experiencing today. Folks, when a preborn child is leaping for joy in the presence of God, how much more ought we to have joy who have been who have experienced His salvation, who have been filled with His Holy Spirit. So John begins his ministry. He begins his ministry in the womb. And he announces the arrival of Messiah by leaping for joy. Well, then we we come and and we look at Elizabeth. And I call her the amazed saint. And and we'll see that in a little bit. Because she is... she stands in amazement that God would have anything to do with her. But first, we should note that when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary and the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This was fairly, this fairly we see this often in the Old Testament, how uh, various leaders, especially leaders and prophets and kings, were filled with the Holy Spirit so they could go about doing the things God had called them to do. And here, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. But know what she does. 
there's oftentimes confusion about what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And for, for, for Luke, the, the Holy Spirit is a huge issue for Luke. So let's get ready. We're going to be talking a lot about the Holy Spirit when we go through the book of Luke because Luke gives us some of the most um, in-depth information regarding um, who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does and how we relate to Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so this is one of his big things. In fact, if you have been paying attention, and I know you have, um, you'll notice that in the birth announcement of John and in the birth announcement of Mary, and now here, these three big sections, all of them have reference to the Holy We haven't gotten very far in Luke. We've gotten to 45 verses already. The Holy Spirit has been dominating these, 40, these 45 verses. And so she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And note what she does. And filled with the Holy Spirit, and she began to exclaim with a loud cry. In other words, the result of her being filled with the Holy Spirit is that she is going to express the divine perspective of this event. In other words, she understands that when Mary arrives at her doorstep, this is just no mere arrival of a, of a fellow pregnant woman. Oh, we're both pregnant together. Oh, we can get together and talk about our pregnancies. Oh, no. That's true. This is something else. And she has eyes to see this event through a divine perspective. Her eyes are open and she begins to reveal the mind of God. And we ask ourselves this question, then, how does she know anything about this child? Not her child, but the child that Mary is bearing. How does she know about this child? And Luke gives us the impression that it is that what she knows about the child that Mary is bearing, what she knows about that child is revealed through the Holy Spirit. Some people have said, well, perhaps, you know, news came to her from, you know, news travels and these are small towns and perhaps she heard about her cousin or all of these things. Perhaps that's all true. Luke is utterly silent. And so when we look at the text as, as is given to us, Mary shows up on her door and she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she realizes the Holy Spirit gives her divine insight as to what is going on. This is important for us. Because when the Holy Spirit fills her, she now has eyes to see what God is doing. Her eyes are open to see the plans and the purposes and the realities of God. We call this the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. That is, it allows God's work to come alive in our lives. How many of you, perhaps, heard the gospel a zillion times, or a zillion and one times, and then one day, boom, there it is. It makes sense. I heard the gospel, I don't know how many times, and I mocked and I laughed and I said, eh, whatever. And then one day I heard it. And I knew that I knew that I knew that this is the Word of God. What was the difference between the previous presentations and this presentation? It was not because one was better presented or one was, you know, it just wasn't that. It was God opening blind eyes, illuminating me so I could see the truth. I could see the divine perspective on these things. And so we see the necessity of the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. We see this then, especially over in 1 Corinthians chapter 
chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. And, and we see this, we say, Paul writes this, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Here it is, verse 14. The natural person does not accept does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Did you get that? The natural person cannot understand the things of the Spirit because they are spiritual. One must have their eyes open in order to see the things of the Holy Spirit. Mary Elizabeth has her eyes open. She sees that this is not just a fellow future mother. She realizes that this is the woman who is bearing God incarnate, and He will bring redemption to the whole world. We see something very similar over in Romans chapter 8. where we learn that unless our eyes are spiritually opened by the Holy Spirit, we will not be able to know the things of God. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody and they just kind of look at you? You're going, man, that was the best gospel presentation I've ever made. Man, I nailed every point. And I did it in a contextualized, relevant way that was just perfect for them in a setting that was great for them. I built the relationship with them. I've done all of these things and they still looked at me like I was completely out of it. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and she discerns and her eyes are open to see the way things are. She looks at these things from a divine perspective. And when she does, she, notice this, she begins to declare and exclaim the great things that God is doing. And this is one of the works of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see this throughout the book of Luke. That she receives, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaims and declares loudly these divine truths. And so we see throughout Luke and Acts that, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to declare the great things of God. And probably one of our um, best-known passages, um, we're going to see one in verse 67, but that's a, down the road, so I won't talk about that one too much. But Acts 2.4 is probably um, one of our great passages of text dealing with this issue. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so what happened? They were filled with the Holy Spirit and then what happened? They began to utter and speak boldly the Word of God. And what, do, what were they saying? They weren't just talking nonsense. It tells us that they were declaring the mighty works of God. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to declare the mighty works of God. And then we see this over in chapter 4, verse 8. The, uh, the exact same thing going on 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, in other words, Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, begins to declare the Word of God. And then we continue to see this as we go through the book of Acts. And again, remember, Luke also wrote Acts. It's kind of part two to the the sequel to the book of Luke. And Acts chapter 13, verse 9, we see, but, but, but Saul who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil. In other words, filled with the Holy Spirit, he discerns the way things really are and he proclaims the truth about God. And so, one of the great passages of text on this is in Ephesians chapter 5, where we read this, Do not be drunk with wine, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And then note what comes after that. In fact, I'm going to get all Greek geek on you here. So remember that after this, um, these are all clauses that describe being filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is kind of your main theme. And then what does that mean? Look at all the clauses that follow that. and It's describing what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here we go. But do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you might say, well, what does that mean? I'll tell you exactly what it means, because Paul tells us exactly what being filled with the Holy Spirit means. It's this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks, giving thanks always for everything to God in the name of the Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, is to declare the wonders and the goodness of God. So we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We begin to see what God is doing. And then we declare boldly the great things God has done. We encourage one another. We exhort one another. We sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is what it means. And this is what our Elizabeth is doing as she is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she asks this amazing question. Why am I so favored? We saw Mary ask a similar question. But here's this humble amazement at being included in the plan of God. She's amazed that God would actually include her in his plans. Have you ever been amazed that God would include you in his plans? And make no mistake, everybody who's sitting in here who is a follower of Christ is is included in God's plans. Read 1 Corinthians 12 and how God has gifted each one of you for what? For the building up of the body of Christ, every single one of you, every single one of you are included in the plan of God. Not one of you has been left out. You don't need to be the smartest. You don't need to be the brightest. You don't need to be the wealthiest. You don't need to be the best looking. You don't need to be any of those things. You need to have the Spirit of God and He has equipped you. And you might say, and who am I to be part of God's plan? And that's a really good question. And who you are is you are a child of God and he has purpose to use you to bring about his amazing plan. Elizabeth said, who am I that God would be so favored to allow me to be part of this thing? I have been, she has heard from her very early childhood, from way back in Genesis, that God was going to bring a Savior, that God was going to bring a Messiah. And then she hears about how Abraham is going to be the father of many nations and that through him all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And she hears how God is going to bring about a Messiah who's going to sit on David's throne and is going to reign forever and ever. And then she hears about the suffering servant in Isaiah who's going to be pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and he's going to carry our griefs and our sorrows. She hears about these things and she wonders, when is any of this going to happen? And now all of a sudden... Here she is, the 
presence of God is in her life, in, in her midst. And she's saying, and who am I to be part of this incredible plan? She's just really a nobody. Folks, don't think for a moment that you are any different. You, the world may not know you. You may not be famous. Yet God has chosen to put his spirit in you and he has included you to be part of his magnificent purposes. Don't sell yourself short. Don't think, oh, God can't use me. Oh, God does use you. And he will use you. He is perfectly, he did not call you into his kingdom and then say, well, I don't have any use for you. I don't know exactly why you're here. It's just, maybe I made a mistake. God did not make a mistake. You are not a plan B. You are none of that. You have been called by God, placed in his kingdom, and you will, you are equipped to serve. You may say, well, who am I? Well, that's a really good question. I don't have a great answer for you, other than you are a child of God whom he has sovereignly chosen and he will use you to bring about his purposes. And this is Elizabeth. Humble amazement. She counts it an honor to be part of what God is doing. Do you consider it an honor to be used, or is it drudgery? Oh, I'm going to have to go to church today, and then I'm going to actually talk and be nice to people. <laughs> I know none of you say that, but anyway, I just kind of use that as a character. Of... She's amazed to be in the presence of the Lord. She's amazed to be in the presence of God. We come into this this building together as the church on Randall Place. I know God's everywhere, but we come here at God's bidding. We come here at God's invitation, and God says, I'll meet with you. Why don't you all get together? How about at 10 o'clock on Sunday, 6338 West Randall Place? Come on in, and I'll meet you there. Really? Yeah, I'll meet you there. Well, okay, then I'm going to be there. Why would you have anything to do with a ragtag group like us? Oh, you're in a ragtag group. You are my people, my children, heirs of my promises. And then we come and we take a quick look at Mary. Mary is a blessed one. By the Spirit of God, Elizabeth expresses the mind of God. In fact, she sings the very first Christmas carol. You didn't know this, but this is actually a, a hymn. When, when, um, when, when Elizabeth says says this, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. It's two things. First of all, it's, it's, a, it's a poem. It's poetry. And so it's actually in, in phrased as a hymn. So it's a song. First Christmas carol right there. It's also the first beatitude, right? You've written the, the Sermon on the Mount, beatitudes, blessed are the poor and blessed are the meek. Okay, well, here's the first beatitude. So Elizabeth, um, maybe that'd be a trivia question, a good Bible trivia question. Where's the first Christmas carol? Right here. Uh, and, and she says, blessed are you. And I'm going to get a little technical on you again, and I don't mean to lose you, but I think there's some significance here, and I know you're all really bright, and you can follow this. It's not difficult. But the idea here, um, because, because Luke chooses to use two various, two different words for blessed in this particular text. And this first one is um, has to do, well, we get the word eulogy from it, but it really has to do with um, divine favor. We talked about this a while back. And 
Blessed are you, Mary. You have received your blessed because you are the recipient of divine favor. Let me emphasize, she is the recipient of divine favor. This is a past verb. In other words, she is the recipient. She is not the bestower of divine favor. And so I say that and I want to emphasize that if we have... Um, so, because there's some confusion about who, uh, who Mary is. She is not the bestower of divine favor. She is the recipient of divine favor. Blessed are you. You are the one whom God has graced. And what is the source of her blessing? What is the source of her favor? The source of her favor is the very presence of Jesus Christ in her. In other words, folks, blessing finds its source. Blessing finds its foundation in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are blessed because we are in union with Christ. She's really in union with Christ. In a way that probably nobody else ever has or will be. The Bible tells us we are in Christ, in Christ, in Him. We are told that we are in union with Christ. And yet, she's in, and the reason she has divine favor is because of that relationship she has with the living Christ. But then Mary's blessed in a different way. And we see this in verse 45. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken for her. And this, is, this is, would be our first beatitude because this idea of blessing has to do, has to do with joy. Um, joyful, perhaps. It would be really loose to say that, but if we were writing something academic, we wouldn't say that. But for here, we could say something like, this has to do with joy and happiness. Blessed is she who believes. And blessed is she who has believed. Mary here becomes an example of all who will believe. She stands in the line of Abraham, who is the father of faith, and who believed God and who was counted to him as righteousness. And now here, happy or blessed or joyful is the one who believes. And she stands in contrast with Zechariah, who said, well, I don't know. How can I know these things are true? Can you give me a sign? She believes the word of God and she acts upon it. Well, what does she believe? It tells us. And blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What does she believe? She believes that God will do what God said he's going to do. And she, therefore, is Believing that God is going to do what God said he's going to do becomes for her a source of joy. Her blessing as a believing one is that she trusts that God will act according to his word. We talk about belief. And sometimes we, we kind of lump a whole bunch of things together. But when a person believes, they're not just agreeing to a certain set of facts. All right? In order to believe, we have to know what the facts are. But we also have to agree with the facts, and then we have to put them into action. And so when we share the gospel, we say, um, you need to believe. You need to believe. First of all, you need to, to know what the facts are. You need to know about the facts of Jesus Christ. Okay, now you know the facts. Then you must agree to them. Do you, many people will say, well, now I know the facts, but I don't agree with the facts. But belief has to do with now I know the facts and I agree with the facts. And then the third part of belief, which we'll, we'll see here, is that not only does she know the facts and agree with the facts, but she acts upon those facts. 
And she believed the Lord and she said, let it be, she said earlier, then fine, Lord, use me as your humble servant. I'll do whatever you want me to do. And this is the same with, and she is then a joyful or a happy one, a blessed one, because she not simply hears the facts, she not simply agrees with the facts, but she implements the facts into her lives. And the Bible calls us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, not just to simply know the facts, not even to agree with the facts, but to implement the facts that Jesus Christ has died for your sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures and that you have life in his name. Not just agreeing, not just knowing them. Too many people know the facts. I'm not asking you, do you know the facts? Nor am I even asking, do you agree with the facts? I'm asking, have you appropriated those facts into your life? Have you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you repented and believed the gospel? That's what I'm asking you. Mary is a blessed one because she has, she is the recipient of divine grace. And if you are here today and you are a follower of Christ, it is because you are a recipient of divine grace. You did not bestow that grace upon yourself. You did not earn it. You did not do anything of your own merit to get it. God graced you. And if you believed, that is, you knew the facts and you agreed to the facts and you appropriated them, you are a blessed person. You are blessed and you are joyful because you have acted upon and appropriated those truths into your life. So Mary is blessed, that is. <clears throat> so she believes God's word that was conveyed through Gabriel, and that now becomes a source of joy. And let me just put this little schematic up here real quickly so we can probably, we might be able to summarize that. <clears throat> One more. Here it is. Mary is blessed, that is, she has received God's favor, she believes God, and then Mary is blessed. She has joy. I think that's a nice little rough general outline, but I think it's fairly accurate. God has graced you. Do you believe God? Believing God is a source of joy. Joy is not founded in our circumstances. Joy is founded in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Mary is in a close relationship with Jesus Christ. Closer, very close. Folks, here's, here's the interesting thing. When Jesus went away, what did he say? He said, it's best that I go away. Why? Because until I go away, once I go away, I'm going to send my spirit. He says another comforter. The idea here is one exactly like me. And he will be with you and he will be in you. Folks, if you are a follower of Christ, you have the spirit of the living God dwelling within you. You have Jesus Christ dwelling with you. Mary's got Jesus Christ dwelling in her. Did you know you have Jesus Christ dwelling in you if you are a follower of Christ? What joy should that be? What a great encouragement. What a great truth. I have the living God dwelling within me by His Holy Spirit. And, and uh, this is a little off. we got time. Here's the other really cool thing. When we read in, in Zephaniah, we see that God separates himself from his people because of their sin. But when they repent and turn and return, God says, then I come and I come into their midst. In fact, so it is the presence of God that is evidence that their sins have been forgiven. Okay, do you get, are you with me? The fact that God is now present in their midst is the evidence that God has forgiven them of their sins. Okay, let's just talk New Testament. God in you, what is that evidence of? 
it is evidence that you have been forgiven of your sins. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you have God dwelling in you, and that is evidence that your sins have been forgiven. Folks, if that's not a source of joy, then we need to talk. I'll just I'll close with this. What we've seen here is we've seen both blessing and joy in this text today. And to be blessed is to find favor with God. Favor that we find with God is unmerited, it's unearned, and it is a source of amazement. Look what we read in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And he follows up. This is a trustworthy statement. We also see joy. And joy would be the fruit of faith. Joy would be the fruit of believing God's word. It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It is the result of being in God's presence. So folks, when we are placed in Christ, we have a permanent, perennial fountain of joy that is not secured by circumstances or events, but rather it is secured by relationship. And that is a relationship that God has made with you to call you his son or his daughter and all of that by his grace. And so I would just say today that if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've never experienced the unmerited, unearned grace of Jesus Christ, and you just kind of doing your own thing, living your own life, saying, me and God have got this separate deal worked out. No, you don't. Let me just tell you that. You don't, there are no side deals. Um, God doesn't work on the flyer under the table. He works above board, and he is, and if he is saying, you know what, if, if your heart's being convicted, today's the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. My wife and I would love to spend some time talking with you about what it means to take up your cross and follow after Jesus Christ. We would love to see that happen, and we will be happy to work with you. In that area, we don't have like like an altar call or raise your hands. Just talk to us. Come and we'll sit down and talk about what it means to follow after Christ. We have mature believers in this church who would love to spend time. Our elders here really love the Lord, and they would love to spend time sharing with you and helping you learn to grow and become a strong disciple. God called us to make disciples. All right. That's what we're after. We want to see you become a follower of Christ. So that's pertaining to you. Please talk to Simone and I or talk to uh, one of the elders in our church, Nelson, back there. He's passing out bulletins today. Jaime was the guy kind of running and coordinating and making this thing run kind of smooth. And uh, I'm the guy who's rambled for a while. So we would love to talk with you. And uh, if you are a follower of Christ, I pray that you know that you have been blessed, and I pray that that is a source of joy. Let's stand and let's pray.